You're listening to a teaching from Sundown Church. We hope you encounter God through our podcast and experience freedom in your life. We're going to continue in this reteaching of some of these major topics that we've talked about over the last multiple weeks. Uh, I counted before I left home, and there's 10 of these topics left. Of course, some of them I, I will combine, so we're getting near the end of this particular study. Uh, from our original list uh, way back when we started, we're going to be talking tonight about number 10, which says salvation, repentance, and deliverance, uh, and healing. Now I've added, I've added that one. This may take me a couple of weeks to do, but I want to get this recorded, and so it's it's in our list of uh, of things that we have that we have retaught. One of the big questions I, I know it is for me. I I don't know how pressing it is for others, but I recognize that after a vision that I received many years ago, about about eleven years ago, that there were many in the church who were unsaved who are sitting there thinking with a certainty that they are. So the question tonight is not so much about how salvation comes, but about how to share with someone the certainty of it. How do you know that you know that you know that you know? And I'm hoping that by this clarity for those here and who will use it and for those who will hear it on a recording, this will give them not a question mark about their salvation, but assurance of their salvation, that they will know that what, what this relationship is about. One of those things that I mention to you often that is kind of this telltale sign of my concern is that, again, if I were to ask most believers who had been believers any time at all to take a test of 50, and, and the test included 50 multiple choice questions, unless I got ridiculously difficult in the questions, most people would fare very well in those questions. Just multiple choice, 50 Bible questions. But then if I got to the essay portion of a test and said, I want you to write down five times when you've had an encounter with God, most or many would not be able to do those five. And many would only attempt to write down their salvation experience as an encounter. But most of them, again, unfortunately, would describe that encounter more in clinical terms, more than relational terms. I did this, I prayed this, this is what God did. And and that would be basically the description. Well, one of those things that allows us to have a certainty about our salvation uh, beyond what we've typically taught as the litmus test, one of those things that should be an evidence of, of the saving relationship with Jesus Christ, us being saved or rescued, sozo, the Greek word, would be that we would be in a relationship with him not simply something that we're gaining in head knowledge where we could do well on a multiple choice 
test, which is perfectly fine, but that we could easily write down five times that we've had encounters with God. Five times when we could say he spoke or we saw or, he, or, or whatever the, the situation might be, that we could actually write down what those encounters might be. So tonight, as we, uh, as we come to this question, what we're going to be addressing more is not just how salvation comes, but how we know the certainty of it. Again, I want us to be able, not only for ourselves, to have assurance of that salvation, but I want us to be able to help others in more ways than what we've typically offered. And so, again, our, our conversation tonight will begin in Romans chapter 10. How do we know that we're saved? When someone comes into my office, I never know exactly what they need. Uh, the Holy Spirit does already, but I, I have to discover it by his revelation. I know it's one of, one of four things generally. It's going to be a matter of salvation. It's going to be a matter of repentance, a matter of deliverance, or a matter of healing. So what, over the next, as, as far as I can get tonight, and over the next few weeks, in, again, in this continuing look at things we need to reteach, the first one we're going to approach is salvation. If I get through it tonight, I'll start on deliverance, but my suspicion is we'll probably be one week per topic. Uh, so tonight is salvation. Again, when someone comes into my office, I don't know what they need because very often the lives that are in trouble, even as a believer, looks very much like someone who's lost. They're battling with something. There's often the presence of sin in that story. But, but again, I would tell you in, the, in an opening comment is that one of the first evidences that salvation is real. And I don't want to over-exaggerate this or overstate it, but I do know that if I've met Jesus as my Savior, if, I, if I've known the healing power of his death and what it brings to me in salvation, it would seem odd that I would not be able to describe what we had in terms of relationship. So I believe relationship is one of those evidences. Uh, again, I'll use Melissa because it's just a handy example. As she shared in her testimony of those years when she was so far away and into such unusual things that she always knew that the Holy Spirit was, was in pursuit of her, beckoning her back. So even though in her personal life there might not be a great evidence of that salvation, the relationship is the, is the great evidence that the Holy Spirit was pursuing her, recovering her, transforming her, always wooing her, bringing her back. So I, again, I don't feel uncomfortable talking about the fact that, that one of the first evidences of salvation should be relationship because it should be an encounter. So I want us to go to Romans chapter 10. We, we, we know this passage well, but talking about salvation, there's not really uh, a better one to start with. So uh, Romans 10, I'm going to begin reading... Uh, in verse 5, for Moses described the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which does those things shall live by them. 
But the righteousness which is of faith speaks on this wise, say not in thy heart who shall ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, who shall ascend into the depth, that it that is to bring up Christ again from the dead. But what saith it? The word is near you, even in your mouth and in your heart, that is the word of faith which we preach. So again, we begin to look at this and say, okay, we're, we're describing something here. We're describing a relationship. We're describing an encounter with a specific result. How do we know that we know that we know that we're saved? Let me read that again. That the word is near you. Even in your mouth and in your heart, that is the word of faith which we preach. He's giving us a specific reality of that salvation. He's giving us a, re a reality that, that I won't have to wonder in, in the way some would wonder because the truth is going to be near me. That word of faith is going to be near me. It's going to be in me. And I, I will assure you that for us, that's an encounter. John chapter 8, verse 12, where we started studying on Sunday morning a few weeks ago. It says, if you will follow me, you will have the light of life. So once again, we begin to recognize that as a believer, as a follower of Jesus Christ, characteristics and qualities that are going to be evident, that I will have the light of life. But even, again, it's with, with the clarity of this, to speaking to someone who, who may be thinking that they're saved, they're going to have heard this enough. They're, they're going to continue to say, well, I have that light of life, and I have this word near me. So let's continue in Romans, and now into verse 9, Romans 10, verse 9. The word of faith which we preach that, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thy heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. So we begin from this place. Now, I don't have my phone, so I can't give you, I don't have the lexicon that I can get to quickly. But the, the message within this is, is a little bit more robust than what we would typically say. Because that word, uh, that word confess, if you will confess uh, with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, that confess isn't, I say it once. It's not a statement of, okay, I was with somebody and they asked me to, if I wanted to be saved and I, and I confessed Jesus. If my understanding is correct, that word confess means an ongoing situation. It's an ongoing message. I continue to confess that Jesus is who, is who he says he is and he's who he is in my life. And you shall believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. Again, we, you, we, we have to look at this word believe in, in that robust term as well. Because once again, you came in, you sat in the chair, you believed it would hold you, but by faith you did it so that now the weight of your situation is resting in that chair and your trust is keeping you there. So the, the connotation here, the expanded look of this, when it says believe, it's really meaning not only do we just say, I know that he would, but we have put we have put the weight of our of our situation. We've put the weight of our sin. We've put the weight of the heaviness of that. It now rests on Him, and He has and and He has by His blood 
dealt with that weight. So by faith, I trust him that he would actually do what I'm asking him to do when I ask him by faith to save me, to rescue me from sin. And it says here, if we will confess that and also believe in our heart, it's not just one, it's both. To confess and to believe. Unfortunately, in many who think they're saved, sitting in churches all over the country, if you ask them about it, what they're going to give you is how they confessed. They're going to tell you, well, I was here and this is what I prayed because that has been our past litmus test. If someone was uncertain about their salvation, they would go to their pastor and their pastor would say, well, did you ever pray? And if, if they, yes, I prayed, well, then you're saved. Don't worry about it. No, worry about it. Because that's the confession piece. But if there's no belief behind that confession, if you're not actually letting the weight of your story rest in the saving power of Jesus Christ to do for you what you couldn't do, you can confess it all day long. I, can, I could get this banner and I could start marching around this sanctuary saying, you know, I confessed, that, I confessed, I confessed that Jesus is my Savior. I confessed it, I confessed it, I confessed it. Am I saved? No. Because what's the key ingredient here? Is it coming out of my mouth? Or is it the expression of my heart? There's a, there's a, a real difference in this question. So many who are sitting in sanctuaries who, who went through some process at some point and again, I look back in my own story wishing that I would have understood this much younger as a, as a teacher and, and even as an interim pastor because I can remember specifically these awful moments that I look back on now in vacation Bible school when we would bring these kids sitting there, very small, to this question of salvation. And if they, and, and if the, are you interested? You raise your hand. Then the, the, that group would get herded off. And someone would sit there with them, and if, if they had any interest at all, they didn't pray. They recited or repeated what the adult said. And how do we mark their card then? Saved. This one's saved. We, you know, we had 20 salvations in the vacation Bible school. I probably shouldn't say this, but I doubt that there was any. But we did it. We've done it for years and years and it continues to do it. That's why when we take kids to camp, we go specifically with the intention of not bringing them to that point unless the Holy Spirit's moving where we know it's him. We, we start from this. It's not scheduled. It's not planned. If it occurs, it'll occur because the Holy Spirit brings us to that point but we're not going to go with the intention to see how many kids we can get saved so we can make an announcement when we get back. We had a great camp. We had this many kids saved. Because I can get them to confess with their mouth. I just can't get them to believe with their heart. And so we, we look at this as evidence of the certainty of salvation. Let's, let's go to, uh, to Acts chapter 16. We know this is the story of Paul and Silas. We know that 
they had been imprisoned. We know that about midnight that they were praying and that they were singing and they were praising God. And once again, if you were in that situation, uh, chained in a dungeon that, in a prison that didn't look much like the prisons of today, but you found yourself there and you found yourself praying, what would your prayer be? Get me out of here. God, use your power, do something, get me out of here. So shortly thereafter, when the earthquake came and they were free, how do we know that that's not what they were praying? They didn't leave. If they had been praying, God, get me out of here, and there had been an earthquake that freed them, they would have said, oh, that's the answer to our prayer. That had been gone. We know that's not what they were praying for. But we do get a glimpse of what they were praying for. We do get a glimpse of what happened. And so they were free. The, the prison guard is about to kill himself because of the loss of these prisoners. When, when the prisoners come out and say, don't harm yourself, we're all here. I, th I find that a bit interesting if there was more than Paul and Silas there. What if there's 10 in there and they're all free now and the announcement is don't harm yourself, we're all here. What, that, what does that mean for the other eight that are there with Paul and Silas? There's at least the possibility they've already been converted. We, all, we do know that somehow whoever else is with them, if there's more than those two, that they've all been affected by Paul and Silas. Or they would have seen the, the open door and they would have been gone because they didn't have any other reason to hang around. What, what verse is that where it, say, where it says that? Uh, yeah, verse 27. And the keeper of the prison awakened out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had, had been fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Now, I think if it would have been Paul and Silas, he would have said, we're both here. Don't. But when he says we're all here, it at least gives the inference that there were more than the two of them. And they didn't run either. I think that's... Yeah, and the prisoners heard them. Yeah, I mean, they were, they were being affected by this prayer. They were being affected by the singing. They were being pulled in. So I, I could probably look up that word heard and see if it means more than just what with the ear. But uh, I, I do know that it's an unusual moment. They stop the guard from harming himself. And then we come to this profound moment. The only time where this is asked specifically. And so I, because it's asked like this, I think it's certainly worth noting. Uh, in verse 30, and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be rescued? We need to take real certainty here, real heart here, at what, at what this, this answer is. Because the answer is this, and they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. My, my Bible says to, to read the notes on faith because the word believe here 
is again more than the expression of something I know, I know this chair will hold me. It's the full expression of faith built in that word believe. If you will, if you will believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in the house. And he took them the same hour of the night, washed their stripes and was baptized he in all his straight way. So again, we, we get this glimpse, you know, where we can actually stare at this photograph. We have, we have, the, we have the video running from, the, from the, the songs and the prayers to them staying and, and being blessed by the guard. We have the whole video, but we get to stop it frame by frame and examine it. So we get to examine this frame where the guard says, what must I do to be saved? We, we get to move over a frame and look at the frame where, where, where Paul and Silas answer, believe, believe. So what do then I have the privilege of adding to this story? How does salvation come? Believe and turn in circles, believe and stand on your head. No, the answer was to believe. Now, please understand, I'm not making a simple statement. It's a terribly robust statement. To believe, faith, trust, place it on the Lord Jesus Christ. You're sitting on a chair. He describes it in strange terms, I think, anyway, when he says, uh, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. We would typically say, believe in. It's like it, it gives us a little bit of a different picture that you're resting the weight of your salvation, the question of salvation on him by faith. That's where it belongs. It belongs on him. Well, I, when, I, when I share this message in my office, I, I share just a couple of things because, again, I want to I create a visual certainty of salvation. And, and many of you have seen me draw this before. But I'm going to do it again. Parker, I might get you after we get through to come take a picture of this so we could get it on the website. Somebody could look at it if they wanted to. I start by drawing this line and just recognize, mark this as a shoreline. If a swimmer leaves that shoreline and begins to swim out into the lake or the ocean, uh, First of all, I would question their sanity, but if they chose to do it, then we're going we're to give them the benefit of the doubt. So l let's just say that they've gone out a half a mile. Pretty good swimmer. They've, swum, they've, they've gone out that far. And so they, they turn and they look back. And when they turn and they look back, there's this strange realization and there's this inward confession of, of this. I can't, I can't make it. Now, again, when they were headed out, we called them a swimmer. At this point, what am I going to call him? I'm going to call him a drowner. I don't even know, again, I don't know if that's proper English or even such a word, but it works pretty well because their status has changed. The swimmer now becomes a drowner. 
upon that realization of I can't make it, we now have a person who was, by this fact, they, were, they would say, no, I'm doing okay. I'm just swimming along, I'm doing okay. What does this person now need? Now that the same person is turned, come to this realization, what does this person need? They need, they need a savior. They, they need that, that Greek word, sozo. They need to be rescued. What happens to us when we start trying to save the swimmer? Which is where most salvations occur. We want our children saved as early as possible. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with as a parent wanting to make sure and, and answer this life's big question about the salvation of our children. But what happens when you try to save a swimmer? They, well, they could pull, but they're doing fine. You pull up beside, you pull up beside this person in a boat. Yeah, that, or what if I pester them? I might even get them to go along with me and, and say what I want them to say. If I pull up beside them and say, if you'll just say, if you'll just say, do, re, mi, fa, so, la, ti, do, then you'll, you'll, you'll be saved. And it's like, leave me alone. No, if you'll just say, do, re, mi, fa, so, la, ti, do, then you'll be saved. No, leave me alone. If you'll just say, do, re, mi, what, what, what will they eventually do? Do re mi fa so la ti do so. Leave me alone. Now you can go leave. It's perfectly okay because now we've now put this person in the category. They're saved. So we, you know, we 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 take our boat and we go somewhere else and look for the next swimmer. Is that person saved? Not a chance in the world. How many thousands upon thousands upon thousands are there of those? Many who were saved and attempted to be saved as a swimmer. What will this one do? Well, I'll ask you this way. One of these two people is going to holler for help. One of these two people is going to, is going to yell for a savior. It's obvious. Which one is it? It's the drowner. Why? What's become real to this person now? The swimmer that's gone along here fine versus this person, what's now entered into the picture that would cause them to scream? Death. Yeah, death is now in the story. Okay, let's make a, let's make a jump here. Who and who alone can bring us to the reality of death? The Holy Spirit. So what, what, are, we, what are we establishing here? This salvation requires the preemptive work of the Holy Spirit to bring us to the point where we know that the wage of sin is death. We have to come to that reality. 
because something in us has to form the scream. Now, I, I will admit this, that, that this is very age-appropriate. I was saved at eight years old. We each, we each have a, a salvation story. I was saved at eight. The scream that had formed in me had formed because of things I had heard, lessons I had been taught. But the work of the Holy Spirit on the side of the bed that night with my mom, the Holy Spirit had brought me to the realization that, that there would, that this, what, what I was feeling inside had to have an answer other than what I knew. So the Holy Spirit used my mother to speak this message to me. And at eight years old, sitting there on the side of the bed, I asked, he said yes. But even at eight years old, Jan was sitting right over here, I think. When you, was it? Brother, Brother Glenn was, was, was preaching and, and Jan knew. Oh, that's right. It was, yeah, Harry was over here, but, but Glenn was a pastor, wasn't he? Yeah, but that's who you came and talked to. Yeah, so, and you were 31 when the Holy Spirit brought her to this reality. Now she, she like Shorty and others have this have the story that something happened. They went through the motions of something much earlier. But there will be, and I, I don't think I'm overstressing this. If somebody's got a different perspective, I, I, I would gladly entertain it. But I don't know who can do this, who can bring me to the truth of that, the wage of sin is death, the, the, the reality for all have sinned. I don't know who can reveal that truth. If Jesus said the Holy Spirit is the revealer of all truth, I don't know who can reveal that to me except the Holy Spirit. Because something in me needs to form, to, to, to form this scream. I, I would feel differently about this, I guess, if, if it weren't that word save there wasn't the word rescue. It's real hard to rescue someone if they don't know they need to be rescued. Rescue is a key ingredient in this understanding. So one of those things when I ask people, again, I don't try to get them to question their salvation. Again, just like I, I've shared with you many times now that, that the, the, the question about salvation doesn't get answered by saying, well, did you do this? Did you do this? Did you do this? I really, when, I, when I'm helping someone know that they know that they know, I simply want to show them the truth of salvation so that they can compare. So when someone's, I'm, I'm, t I'm showing this to someone and they say, man, nothing like that happened to me. I didn't feel the weight of any sin. I didn't feel the weight of any death. You know, I, I, just, I went forward because there was a bunch of other kids that went and I just went along with them then what, what has happened should have happened. The truth has brought them to the proper question. And, and, and they'll say back, my salvation didn't look anything like that. I didn't know any of that was going on. But when we actually begin to recognize that we have been rescued, what does that simple truth then, then say? If, if, you know, if, if Matthew saw me and... I was, I was about to die, about to perish some, some strange way, and Matthew rescued me. What would that start between us? 
a relationship, a lifelong place of gratitude. There would never be a moment when I didn't have a thought about Matthew and about what, and, and what he had done, especially if, God forbid, it took his life to rescue me. What would I not ever feel or think or want to say or, or the relationship, something I would want to express to him? If we know that we've been rescued, key words in here, and I know that I know that he rescued me, what should that at least start? A relationship. Unbelievable, magnificent gratitude for the salvation that he has brought me. So when we come to this first piece of this, and I, and I ask people, you know, show them this. Did your salvation look like this? The first thing that I'm trying to get them to, to answer is did it begin with the Holy Spirit? Was that a preemptive work of the Holy Spirit? Was he present in the story? Did he bring you to this truth? Was he the one who brought you to the understanding that you were a sinner? Is he the one that introduced you to a Savior? Did he bring that truth to you? Did he do the preemptive work? The second thing that I do is, is from the scripture that we, we've already read in, in Acts chapter 16, did, did what the Holy Spirit do form that belief, form that faith, form that trust in you? I want us to look at one more, and I'm sorry since I don't have some notes that I need to have. Somebody help me find or somebody know where the story of Philip and the eunuch is. Got it. Parker, can you check on your phone or something and find where that is? The Ethiopian eunuch, Acts 8. Okay. Almost there. 8.27. All right, thank you. All right, let's go there. Let's take a look. Because here I think we find kind of this final piece for me that establishes the certainty of salvation. Uh, let's begin in 26. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south unto the way that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch, queen of the Ethiopia, a eunuch, of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure, he had come to Jerusalem for to worship. He was returning and sitting on his chariot, reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what you read? And he said, How can I except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. The place of the scripture where he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so opened he, he not his mouth. And in his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare this generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speakest the prophet this, of himself or some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth, 
began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came into a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they were, and when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went away on his way rejoicing. So again, we have a video that we get to stop frame by frame. We get to hear this question asked by the eunuch, what keeps me from doing this? He asked this question of baptism, what keeps me from baptism? And, and, and Philip was ready by, because, I mean, when we, when we get this, when we start at, at the beginning of this video, you know, in verse uh, 27, we recognize it says, and the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, arise, the messenger of the Lord, is what that word really means. The messenger of the Lord spoke and said to do this. And then in verse 29, then the spirit said unto Philip. So who was, who was directly in this story? The Holy Spirit. He was the one who put Philip in the situation. He, the Holy Spirit is the one who gave him the words to say. It was the Holy Spirit who, who was affecting this whole story. So again, I, th I think it, it is a, a statement, a powerful confession of the Holy Spirit's role in salvation. But the one thing I wanted to add, something, these words that I, I think are missed, that we cannot afford to miss if, First of all, if I'm leading someone or I'm, I'm, I'm participating in this moment when someone is saved, I like the message from, from Acts 16 because it said, what must I do to be saved? And Paul says, believe. And I know that's a robust word. But I like what Philip says as well because he not only says believe, what does he add? Yeah, with all with all your heart, if you believe with all your heart. What difference does that make? All the difference. Because one of those things that happens in this question of salvation and why I believe the Holy Spirit gave this vision, he gave it to me and he gave it to Kendall. About the same time, Kendall's was different, but the, but the same. Kendall's saw a, a pile of bodies, a mountain of bodies that were dead and lost. His vision was a bit more graphic than mine was. Mine was simply this vision, the reality of the lost sitting within, the lost sheep sitting within the sanctuary. Why? Why such a concern? Why do we preach what we preach? Why do we emphasize the Holy Spirit? Why is there such a necessity? Because when you hold up your hand against the Holy Spirit and you won't receive what he has to say and you've said no to him, then you, it's very hard to connect for me. Well, then when did, in my salvation, did I, did I say yes to him once? And say no to him ever since. 
And, and someone could say, well, I said yes to Jesus. I said, I, I didn't say yes to the Holy Spirit. I said yes to Jesus. Is that possible? Uh-uh. Because the Holy Spirit, is, 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 we're, making a, we're making two points here, and, there, and there's two necessary points. If I'm going to believe with all my heart, that means that I'm 100% in. It means I didn't hold anything in reserve. I didn't try to hold some of my heart back. I didn't try to keep something out of this story. I believed with all my heart that Jesus was who he said he was and that, and that by his authority and by his blood, he could actually deal with my sin completely and wholly. And I don't have to wonder now if my sin is forgiven because I can say adamantly with certainty because I, was, I, I believed with all my heart. That is a reflection of me that I'm willing to, to give all my heart. But the other side of that coin of believing with all my heart says that there's no corner of the story also of Jesus that I won't believe. It's not only me totally in, but, I, but, that, but that faith allows me when I believe with all my heart that Jesus, God, is entirely in. God the Father is entirely in. God the Son is entirely in. God the Spirit is entirely involved in my salvation. I don't, if I'm going to believe with all my heart, I don't have the privilege of excluding the Holy Spirit. Because that would be carving part of my heart out and saying, no, this part I'm going to keep and believe what I want to believe when the Holy Spirit has been revealed to us because he's the, he's the messenger here, the one leading us, bringing us into all truth. Then I've got to say yes to him. I, I say yes to Jesus. I say yes to the Father who's bringing this salvation to us. If I'm going to believe with all my heart, that means I'm, I'm all in, but I also know believing with all my heart that he's all in. And I don't get to exclude something. I don't get to alter the message. I don't get to change the message. I know that I'm saved. I know that I, with certainty that I am because I understand I be, I, I'm growing in it all the time anyway, how much the Father loves me. I'm growing always in the understanding, the expanding understanding of what that love really looks like. I'm growing in the understanding of what Jesus fully did. To, to where I can make statements today that your sin is forgiven. If you're sitting here, your sin is forgiven. If you're outside, your sin is forgiven because Jesus was able by the cross to do a complete work. There is no sin left on the face of the earth that's not forgiven. Again, that doesn't make everyone saved. But our message isn't if you come to Jesus, he will forgive your sins. Our message is if you come to Jesus, you'll realize that your sins are already forgiven. You become a convert to that truth and you'll be saved. You'll believe that what he's already done now applies to me. And I can believe with all my heart that the Holy Spirit is the source by which this relationship continues. He will continue to speak to me. He will continue to show me. He'll continue to bring revelation to me. He will continue to allow me to grow. He'll bring clarity to the questions that I have. I'll see his hands working. He's come to indwell me. Jesus' Spirit has come to indwell me because Jesus is the only one qualified to live this life of salvation. He came to indwell me. Not, I hope he will someday. I hope he'll do this for me someday. 
We keep referring to many things that we hope Jesus does someday, and I will assure you those things you're hoping for have already been done in your past. They're a completed work. And by His Spirit, He can begin to reveal those things to us. We treat salvation in very shallow ways, but I cannot imagine anyone, I mean, even today, we, we don't do a great job but we do try to remember on Memorial Day and Veterans Day and the 4th of July, we try to remember and be ever present in the story that, that, that men and women in the military have laid down their life so that we can be free. And we're grateful for that. We pay taxes willingly so that they can get a check every month and be paid for the great service that they do. I don't mind paying my taxes because I, I love knowing that that money goes into the hands of men and women who will, put on, who, will, who will stand with a gun and stand on the wall and protect me. I'm grateful there. But I want to tell you, the natural outcome of salvation should be the recognition that someone else was in a place of great harm and hung there for me because he took, he, he did what I could not do. He dealt with something I couldn't deal with, gave me a gift that I could not otherwise receive. It ought to start a relationship, lifelong and eternal, with someone who loved me that much. The great evidence to me is still relationship. However that looks, it's still relationship. Thanks for listening to this message. For more resources, visit sundownchurch.com.